again, everybody. Welcome to Two Man Game here on Klabes Online. I'm Bob Ramsey. That is Matt Rocchio as we talk everything NBA and uh, pop in some slew hoops. Rock, how are you? Getting ready to get into a weekend with um, uh, intense NBA games uh, coming our way. Oh yeah, it's going to be an incredible weekend. You know, just around sports. You know, obviously you got the you got the NBA, and then you know let's you know we, let's play our homer cap a little bit. I was going to say last night Blues tying it up one to one. They come back. We got two games. We got a game in St. Louis on Saturday night. Um, you know the I, I might you know kind of root for the Nuggets and, and and have that blind spot in me during the season. But don't worry, I'll be I'll be chanting Kroenke sucks uh, along with everybody else <laughs> come Saturday and come Saturday and, and Monday evening. So yeah, so it's going to be a fun weekend of sports. I'm, I'm excited for it. A couple of uh, quick Billiken notes. We don't have many this time of year, but a couple of quick ones. The Billikens, uh, and we had talked for, gosh, two months now, that um, the Billikens were going to need some bigs um, to fill up some gaps behind Francis Okoro and uh, a backup point guard, which is still, in, in my view, the only remaining uh, issue on the roster. The Billikens signed two players. They signed Jake Forrester, uh, 6'9", 225 from Temple. He seems, at worst, like a real nice blue-collar, workman-like, you know, defend-rebound kind of guy, which mm-hmm. is perfect for what the Billikens need. And then a real interesting three-star. He was He's listed as a three-star, but I noticed got a lot of interest from teams um, from Power 5 plus one conferences, and uh, his name is Momo Cisse. He's from Senegal. He went to two prep schools, one in Arizona, and then finished up at, at Putnam in Connecticut. And uh, he's a seven-footer rock, uh, seven feet, 245. Um, I usually don't get too caught – no, not usually. I don't get too caught up into recruiting. If you sign a guy, I presume you like him. And uh, so we'll see how they fit. I don't get too work. I sometimes get excited in September, October workouts sometimes, but till I see you on the court playing competition, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on, and 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 uh, I'm excited about the product on the floor when the season goes. Having said that, Cisse, seven foot two forty five. I've seen uh, a couple of clips. He can step out and shoot maybe a little bit. And um, you hate to predict the future because we don't go we don't go year to year anymore in college sports. We go semester to semester. Yeah. So, um, but if you got a seven footer who can play and is willing to work hard, uh, the future is good at that position. Yeah, I mean, bringing in that kind of you know talent and that kind of somebody who you know if he if he blossoms and his game kind of fills out around him, then you already have just the natural you know advantage of being seven feet and if you and if you if you've got a shot then you kind of completely change the complexion of of the game and if you can and if you know you can move your feet like we talk about defensively that changes as well that's why a guy like Francis Okoro is so good um but obviously Cisse is probably going to be a little bit more of a longer term uh look which is why the Forrester signing I, I really like because you look at his minutes, you look at his numbers, and he just seems exactly like the kind of guy who can slot into your backup five role, especially in that four-out offense, like you said. Get offensive rebounds, you know, guard the rim on defense, be a, be a part of the offense, but don't need to be a key cog in it. And Forrester, I think, fits the bill perfectly. I mean, I, I honestly, you know, it doesn't seem like he's going to have a problem, you know, 
being a team player, as in like, you know, playing only nine to 12 minutes per game, it, you know, kind of slots into the kind of style he's been playing anyhow. I think it fits perfectly. Forrester's just about the perfect example of a backup big that we've been talking about for the last few months. Yeah, and so you take a look, you know, you've got your bigs now, Cissé Forrester and Perkins, uh, I mean, in Okoro. Then you've got your, you'd probably call them bigger wings or small forward types in Perkins and, and even Fred Thatch. Truly a small forward, and I, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think I think you can probably say that Thatch and, and Pickett, despite being you know six three six four, are both small forwards. Yeah, Pickett, um, uh, Thames. Although, while he's a wing, small forward point. I mean, we're seeing more and more the evolution of these positions. The Billikens are no different. Jimerson six five. The Billikens have 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 gotten a lot taller and longer in this off season. Yeah, you know, it's hard, you know, obviously, you know, with the Yuri news and everything like that, you know, that, that was kind of reinvigorated. And then, you know, John Rothstein over the over the week, you know, talking about how uh, Slew should be the Slew should be unquestionably the best team in the A-10. Uh, you know, they would have had, you know, they, they did what they did last year without the player who would have won A-10 player of the year. Some people didn't like that the, he, he was saying the guy who didn't play a game would have been A-10 player of the year. But I just think that that tells you exactly what these what people in the game think about Javante Perkins. And so obviously there's a lot of excitement and to get this kind of depth. Now the, the only question mark really is, is there a backup point guard, you know, coming into the work? Beyond that, you know, this is a roster again. You know, for the you know second or third straight year that I really think Travis Ford has built in a perfect way for college basketball. The way the game has changed, the way you have to adapt, the way you have to recruit. I really think that Travis Ford has done you know an a you know a minus a a plus job in, in building this team over the last few years. It's been very impressive. Yeah. Um, so uh, a lot of accolades appearing on. Um, Every top 40, top 25 pre pre preseason picks, which is great. It's nice. So let's put that away now until November comes around. I'd rather sneak up on people. Let's keep it on the down. Yeah, that's, that's no. that was my thought when, when Rothstein tweeted that. I was like, oh, cool. So, you know, it's May and this is going to start now. Awesome. Great. Fantastic. Right this is, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. So I guess we're just going to completely jump in and not worry about jinxes or, or you know, knocking on wood beforehand at all, Mr. Rothstein. But he, he's a crazy person when it comes to college basketball, so I, I shouldn't be that surprised. But there it is. It started. It's May. It's it's May of, of the of the season before, and and we're already into it. All right, let's switch to the season that's in season, and that is the NBA. And let's go back to Wednesday night and uh, uh, r- incredible showing. And I continue to get every pick wrong. And the uh, talk about uh, Golden State and what they did. You know, the, I see some headlines about limiting Doncic. I guess maybe he was still great. But um, I did get concerned when he started working that shooting shoulder. He said post game that he was okay. But give me your view of what Golden State did to Dallas. I think the most, the biggest thing that jumped out, especially if you watched that Phoenix series, and we talked about all the mistakes that Phoenix made, which was in the first half, Golden State threw 
every kind of defensive look at Luka Doncic and the Mavericks that you possibly could. They switched on threes. They didn't switch on threes. They were throwing him traps. They were blitzing him. They were giving – I mean, they, they showed a box in one at one point. They showed him a 2-3 zone in another point. So, I mean, they literally gave him every possible look because – uh, you know, I, I think it was Kevin O'Connor over at the Ringer who said that, you know, the thing with Doncic is you can stop him with looks, but he'll he will start to figure out where the holes in that look are. So you have to be changing it up and giving him different ones. The problem I think in that Phoenix series is that they gave him one look and he figured it out and he figured out what Phoenix's one or two main counters to that look were and he figured out those counters and then you saw what happened in game you know later in the series with, with what he was able to do. I think what we saw here in, in Golden State is that exact counter to that, which was we're going to have nine counters deep. And at no point in this game, maybe not until late in the third, are you going to feel like you've seen everything and know what's coming when you pick the ball up on, on the next possession. I thought that was the biggest thing because you make him second-guess his pass, second-guess his look, second-guess his dribble, and that one split second, that's all you need yeah. to close out on Reggie Bullock, Maxi Kleba, um, Dorian Finney-Smith, who, what have you, Spencer Dinwiddie, who, who who didn't have a great game. That split second is what the Warriors, who are a great defensive team, third third rated in the regular season uh, in the NBA. That's what they need to get out, and close out on the that, close out on those shooters and take away those secondary scores, which they also did. Yeah, you know, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about, um, you know, you know, while Luke is kind of a point forward, point forward scorer. I don't know. It's a weird hybrid. Mr. I mean, he's, he's six, he's six, seven, two twenty, and he's like, uh, and we think of him as a pure point guard. It's weird. Yeah, we, we can he, say that. Yeah, and but um, whatever, whatever Golden State did, it, it seemed like that just the ball movement and the second pass and all those kinds of things. Maybe what you're talking about is the the split second of stagnation. Uh, just the ball movement seemed completely off to me. Yeah, exactly, and and part of that is the reason is that the the Warriors, because again, regular season defense, especially in the, in, the, in the NBA, more so than playoff defense, it's less about having that one stopper, and it's more about having that team on a string. You know, in, in playoffs, you kind of do need that one guy who can step up and give the best player on the other team those looks. Um, credit to the to Andrew Wiggins and the Warriors for him becoming that guy over the last few years of his career. Because that's what – that's. I mean, Andrew Wiggins was great offensively, but really it was the moments where he frustrated Luka Doncic defensively that were big. But take away that, and it's just the fact that they are so good on that string where if you pull one part of it, everybody shifts and rotates correctly. And I thought I thought Wednesday was a perfect example of how a top team in the NBA works defensively when they're going up against a player like Doncic where if they take away everything from him and they take away his tertiary shooters, you can really frustrate him. That was an impressive job by the Warriors, and I think people again forget. No matter how many times we talk about how they were a top defensive team when they were winning, you know, uh, championships years ago, the Warriors, despite being a jump shooting team and all that stuff, are a great defensive team when they win. Every time they've won a championship, they have been a top ten or top five defense. And this year, if they win a championship, it's going to be no different. So, um, what does Dallas do? What? what... As they get after it tonight, what does Dallas do? How do they? What are the things they they can do to counter? I think they just they just gotta have their shooters ready in in a bunch of different roles. They they have to 
listen, the Warriors are not going to let Doncic get going. They're going to throw bodies at him uh, no matter what they do. They're going to switch with guys like Kevon Looney who can move on the perimeter a little bit. They're going to throw Andrew Wiggins at you. Klay Thompson's going to do his damnedest, which, again, isn't what it used to be, but it's still be- they, that effort still matters. So... Guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, guys like Maxi Kleba, Davis Bertans, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, it's going to have to be their game. They are going to have to beat guys like Jordan Poole one-on-one consistently throughout this game. They're going to have to step up. They're going to have to win one for the Mavericks because later in the series, again, as Warriors just run out of things in the basketball universe to throw at Doncic, he will start to figure things out. So early in this series, it has to be – a Dinwiddie, a Brunson, one of those guys has to have a big game. Two or three of those guys have to have solid games for them to stay in this one, undoubtedly. They're going to frustrate Luka, but can Dinwiddie find his look, get that extra split second created by on his own that Luka can't create anymore because the Warriors are taking away. Now, can Dinwiddie find that extra split second to get his shot off? Can uh, Jalen Brunson, who uh, I, I – went 0 for 4 from deep. I mean, that's another thing. The, the, the Mavericks just didn't shoot well. They shot no. 33% from the floor and 24% from three. They never shot like that when they won games against the Suns. So those guys have to hit shots. Luka's going to have inefficient games, but the people around him have to make up for that, especially, again, early in this series. So can you frustrate guys like Poole and Curry off the ball the way that you weren't able to in game one? That'll be the big question for Dallas. The big thing here is the the – not just the Mavericks, but the theme of the playoffs for the last week has become huge adjustments game to game. We saw it already. We're going to talk about it here between games one and games two in the Eastern Conference final series between Boston and Miami. So the question is, can we see that from game one to game two with the Dallas Mavericks? So far, Jason Kidd has surpassed any expectations I had in his staff yeah. about their ability to make those adjustments. So will they make those adjustments in game two? We'll see. Again, I think at least in this game, this isn't going to be the one that Doncic has to drag them to a win. If Dallas wins a series against the Warriors, it's because, again, just like the Suns, those bench players come up in big games. So let's go back. Uh, first two games of, uh, of the Eastern Conference, um, a tale of two games, completely different games. And you wondered after game one, wow, can, can Boston win in Miami? And they said, hold on. Yeah, we got that. It's okay. And again, you know, coaching and defense at this point are just so important. And you saw it again. Game one, Miami's defense was incredible. But I think their ability with Bam Adebayo, I mean, God, there were so many possessions, especially later in the third and the fourth when they took over that game. There were possessions when Jason Tatum was bringing up the ball because Marcus Smart was out and they, they had to do that more. And I was impressed for by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown taking a little bit more of that ball handling role. You just, you just ha- It's not It's not a – it's not an extra thing that your best player uh, has anymore in the NBA. I don't care if you're seven feet tall or six foot one. If you don't have a handle, you, you're not yeah. a star player in the league. Um, so Jason Tatum would bring it up, and then Bam Adebayo would pick him up at half court and then run with him the entire possession. That's stupid. That should not be like. It, there should be a law like like how they're trying to come up with like rules against the uh, uh, rules against the shift in baseball. It should be like, well, yeah, your your, your seven footer isn't allowed to come out past the three point line because <laughs> that's inhuman. How is how does how does he do that? Can't do that. Um, and so he go and, back and, where you belong. And there were possession after possession after possession in that third and fourth quarter where they where they shut him out. Where Bam Adebayo was picking guys up, 
26 feet out, switching with him, you know, on P.J. Tucker. Then P.J. Tucker would lock him down. Bam would switch down in the paint, and then he was there when they got one step on P.J. Tucker. It's a ridiculous defense that the Miami Heat have. So they didn't necessarily do anything offensively, the Celtics, to break that. They just countered with their own defensive lockdown, and that opened up their offense because they got Marcus Smart back, they got Al Horford back, and it completely changed their defense as well. I shouldn't be surprised Marcus Smart's Defensive Player of the Year. Well, yeah, and getting them back, and I think all of your analysis is great, but isn't it simple? Could it be as simple as, yeah, we got two of our best guys back? Yeah, I mean, again, Marcus Smart's Defensive Player of the Year. All of a sudden, it completely opens up. Peyton Pritchard, great, solid role player for, for the Celtics, but he's forced into the starting role in Game 1. And as we talked about with other bat, you know, players who aren't great defensively, you get hunted in, in the NBA because it, it's, it's not just you know one five and one four pick and rolls. If your power forward brings the ball up, and the worst player on your team or their power forward brings the ball up, and the worst player on your team is your shooting guard, that team's about to run power forward shooting guard pick and rolls. Because the, the power forward, even though he's bringing the ball up, is now going to call over that shooting guard to pull up your shittiest defender, and he is just going to attack him every single time. And Butler did that to Peyton Pritchard possession after possession after possession in game one off to his huge game. Well, now all of a sudden, instead of Peyton Pritchard, it's the defensive player of the year, and, the, and you know, so arguably, if not the best, you know, undoubtedly the best perimeter defender in the league, and now it's him you're trying to hunt. And it's never going to work that way, so they didn't try it. Grant Williams had a better game as well for the Celtics. Yeah. It's just, and then Horford, his ability to roam away from the paint and force players on the perimeter to to make different looks. The Celtics couldn't switch screens in, in the first, and then they in the second. That's all they did. How Al Horford lets them switch more screens. Marcus Smart allows them to switch any freaking screen they want. Marcus Smart was was banging in the post. Uh, off switches where he would pit, where he would pull Bam out of bio, and he wasn't getting moved because he's 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 a solid as a rock kind of player, um, and so that defensive versatility completely opens things up for them as well, and then you just get a little bit more early execution from guys like Jason Tatum and having a guy like Marcus Smart who was out there killing it with 12 assists. And now all of a sudden the offense gets going a little bit earlier. The defense forces some turnovers. You get some easy transition buckets. And now we see why right out of the gate, Boston at the halftime is up, you know, five or six. And then the third quarter, they, you know, step on the Heat's throat, combined late second, early third to go on a combined 55 to 22 run at one point. I mean, talk about stepping on a team's throat. It's just yeah. the, the dichotomy, the shifts from game one to game two. Marcus Smart and Al Horford are very good players, but part of that shift also comes from the fact that Jason Tatum had another game where he stepped up. And, and and played his and, and played lights out last night against Miami. Twenty five uh twenty twenty five points leading leading the Celtics, five rebounds, five assists. He hits, you know, uh, about half, four of nine from deep. He goes seven to seven from the free throw line. So Jason Tatum stepping up offensively, combining that with getting back to the defense they know, mind you, I think Miami was the number four defense in the league. The Celtics at the end of the regular season Numero uno, defensive team in the league. So you get the you get the you get your pieces back, and things are going to work a little bit better. It's just incredible the shifts that have been made. Just the way that the Heat were able to come out in Game One and like with that Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler defense, just completely frustrate 
the, the Celtics to the point where I think Jason Tatum had six turnovers in the third quarter during that bad run. And then for the, the Celtics to somehow shake that off in Miami, which is the – I would argue is now the hardest place to play in the NBA, not because of the fans, but because you're in Miami and now you have to play the heat. Whereas you used to have to go to LA and play the Lakers. And that's, that was easy this year. Um, It's hard to play in Miami. Those, those, those away games are enticing. And so to go down to Miami after getting shellacked in game one, or be down in Miami, I should say, and after getting shellacked in game one, come out like that, have an offensive explosion and then lock down defensively. All credit in the world to Ime Udoka. He's an incredible coach. And, I mean, again, game three, I have no idea what's going to happen because, I mean, it's we're talking you about took my question. Two, we're talking. I mean, we're talking about two blowouts either way. Sorry, I didn't yeah. jump the gun there. So, I don't know what the adjustments will be. You maybe could guess, but um, heralded it, it, around the league, if not the best coach, one of the very best, Eric Spolstra, um, with an unbelievable organization, um, the, I, I'm anxious to see. I can't predict what they're going to be. I, I wonder what you think, but to see what adjustments they make. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler had 30 points on 18 shots in game two, and they, and they got completely destroyed. So, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but again, you look at what the Heat were – did compared to game one, they shot 44% from the field as opposed to about 52% in game one. I think it was 52%. Um, It was, yeah, 50%. And, you know, they went from shooting about 34% to 28% uh, from from deep. And a lot of that was guys like Max Struess and Gabe Vincent uh, not having the impact they had in game one. And again, Credit to the Celtics. This isn't just those guys having bad games. That's the Celtics defense, again, on that string like the Warriors. They were even better having their two or their best, most versatile players back in Marcus Smart and Al Horford. So, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, these are the guys we talked about being huge parts of a Miami team that not a lot of people expected to be this good. And so those guys are going to have to step up. Tyler Hero, he had 11 points on 11 shots. This is a guy who's supposed to come off the bench and be that second-team fireball, that incandescent score, the time when the Heat need him to. 11 points on 11 shots isn't going to do it. I don't care what defense you're playing against. So Eric Spolcher's going to have to figure out against a, against a heavy switching defense that we did not see in game one and that we could not break in game two, how do I get Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Bam Adebayo, there is a big name that does need to step up. How do I get those guys involved in a way that they've been involved for the last two months that turned us into questionably, are they the number one team or is this just a really good East to, okay, this is undeniable. They have separated themselves from the pack a little bit here. That's kind of was the feeling at the end of the year because those were the three players who were stepping up beyond what they were doing earlier in the season. Bam was coming back from injury. Gabe and Max were stepping into their, it, it really into their, uh, you know, into their shoes as players. Tyler Hero continued to be more of a dominate scorer off the bench. Those guys were the reason that the Miami Heat went from being, okay, this is a strong team with great defense and great coaching to, oh, this is a team that can win the finals because they have the depth and a full team to pull it off. Where's the rest of the team? That'll be the question in game three. I think that is the question, and that's what I'm going to look at to be the difference going into tonight and into the weekend. Uh, as an example, Phoenix – when they ended up losing, Paul Paul won and Booker two, they weren't there. It seems early on that the stars here in the NBA Final Four are showing up, which it's not fair to call them spare parts, but you know what I mean, which non-superstars 
are going to be the guys to have the impact for each team. And I think the rest of the weekend, that's what I'm going to be looking for as the difference in wins and losses. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Curry Doncic, you know, Jason Tatum, Butler, those guys have put on shows, you know, for the most part, or, or at least when they did in game one, like Tatum, they did it in game two. And so it's kind of changed the conversation. Yeah, the big names, the big names are stepping up. And, 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 and when you look across, I mean, look at the big names that are stepping up and then look at the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo and Nikola Jokic and, you know, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, John Morant. Think about how many incredible players are aren't here in the final four, just the NBA right now. I, I, I mean, I know, you know, people, you know, who got mm-hmm. to watch it in, in the seventies, eighties and nineties hate it when, when, when us young people talk about it, but man, the NBA is in such good hands going forward. If this is the conference finals and we still have those MVPs and legends sitting at home, it's, it, there's, there's a reason why this has been a fun conference finals, despite the fact that we haven't got a lot of close games. I'm still having a lot of fun with it. I do hope though, going forward, Maybe like a seven-point game, like it's not not these wild twenty-point shifts that I just can't see coming. Um, you know, maybe I'm being naive by expecting it to maybe slow, you know, close up a little bit. But I'm thinking here, Celtics Heat is going to be a really close game in Game Three. I I I can't say anything enough. I I just can't predict right now. Mavericks Warriors to be to go the other way but watch it I'm going to be wrong and they're going to beat the Warriors by like 15 tonight and Jason Kidd's going to have a shit-eating grin on his face and and so will Luca and I'll be happy about one of them <laughs> again keep an eye on Luca's shoulder I, yeah, that was a little point. concerning for me he, you know going back and working his shoulder he said in post game that it was fine um so we'll see what happens there. We'll see. Well, you know what? I, I as much as I love my, I, I don't, you know, the, uh, you know, as, as they call it in soccer, shithousery from Draymond Green might be an extra effect. If, if he's, if you're noticing the shoulder, Draymond is noticing the shoulder. And I wonder if maybe we see some hard, some, some hard defense from, uh, from Draymond in that, in that case. It'll be really interesting. Rock, have a great, uh, great weekend watching the hard court and, um, We'll get together again next week and see if we're going back and forth like we have been so far, or if somebody can take hold of a series, we'll have all that for everybody um, after the weekend. All right, Ramber, you have a great one. That's Matt Rocky. I'm Bob Ramsey, the two-man game right here on Claves Online. At St. Louis Acura, new inventory is arriving daily, both new and pre-owned. Our buying team adds a higher level of personalized service that others can't match. We sell over 100 pre-owned vehicles monthly, and many of these are matched by our buying teams in Missouri and Illinois. As new Acura production ramps up, be one of the lucky ones to try the newest Type S models now available. Performance has never been so stylish and comfortable. St. Louis Acura remains committed to becoming better than ever for you.